Welcome to the Practical Employment Law Podcast, a podcast covering all aspects of American employment law. I'm your host, Mark Chumley. In today's episode, I'm going to talk about something hip and with it, because I speak the young people's language. That's right, I'm covering the gig economy, at least from the perspective of labor and employment law. First, let's define the gig economy. According to our friends at Google, the gig economy is a labor market characterized by the prevalence of short-term contracts or freelance work as opposed to permanent jobs. In practical terms, the gig economy usually refers to app-based work like Uber, Lyft, and DoorDash, where the worker has a lot of flexibility over when and how they work. But the issues raised by the gig economy extend far beyond those well-known app-based services. Now, the big issue raised by the gig economy is who is an employee? Those of you who are not steeped in labor and employment law may ask, who cares? But trust me, it's a big deal. First, employees have the protection of wage and hour law and must be paid minimum wage, be paid overtime in certain circumstances, and have several other protections that candidly many businesses would just as soon avoid. Also, there are matters such as taxes, withholding, benefits, and insurance, and none of those apply to gig workers. That's because gig workers are independent contractors and are not covered by employment laws. Also, since gig workers are not employees, they cannot join unions. So obviously there are a lot of parties with significant interests in this whole gig economy thing. So the biggest fight that has occurred in the context of the gig economy is over the issue of what constitutes an independent contractor. And this is nothing new, by the way. The issue has been around for many years, and employers continue to struggle with it, but the whole gig economy craze has really dragged it into the spotlight. The long-standing definition of an independent contractor has been an economic realities test that takes into account a variety of factors and focuses on the level of control an employer has over a worker. The classic example of an independent contractor is a plumber. You call the plumber to come and fix a problem, but you have limited control over exactly when and how the problem gets fixed. The plumber uses his own tools, does the job with little supervision, has other jobs going concurrently with yours, and is generally doing his or her own thing, as anyone who's hired a plumber can tell you. By contrast, an employee is usually told when to come and go from work, uses company equipment, is told how to do the job, and has far less control over their work than an independent contractor. Now, the test for independent contractor has been subject to a good deal of tinkering in recent years, as various interested parties jockey for advantage in the political arena. As is often the case, California is the bellwether. You may have heard of Assembly Bill 5, which passed in 2019 and put into place the so-called ABC test for independent contractors. Now, under this law, all workers are presumptively classified as employees unless the hiring business demonstrates that A, the worker is free from the control and direction of the hirer in their work, B, the worker performs work that is outside of the usual course of the hiring entity's business, and C, the worker is customarily engaged in an independently established trade or occupation. As you can imagine, very few workers, apart from our friend the plumber, can meet this test. Certainly gig workers for businesses like Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, and Instacart are intended to fail. 
But many other workers who have worked as independent contractors in various industries also fail the ABC test. Now, most people have gotten used to the convenience of various aspects of the gig economy, and in 2020, California voters passed Proposition 22, which exempted app-based drivers from Assembly Bill 5, returning them to independent contractor status. Not surprisingly, a lawsuit was filed and Proposition 22 was ruled unconstitutional, although the appeals process is ongoing. So there you have it. Uncertainty about the future of the gig economy in California. But wait, it's not just California. Perhaps you've heard of the Protecting the Right to Organize Act, also known as the PRO Act. This is a bill that would amend previous labor laws, such as the National Labor Relations Act, for the purpose of expanding various labor protections related to employees' rights to organize and collectively bargain in the workplace. And one thing that the PRO Act would do is put the ABC test into federal law, effectively ending the gig economy. The PRO Act passed the House, but is still in the Senate, and most observers don't think it will pass in its current form, and certainly not in the short term. So where does all of this leave us? Well, the issue is far from settled. On one side, you have big labor and various factions of state and federal governments who would like to end the gig economy once and for all. On the other side, you have a lot of younger workers who value flexibility over the dubious protections offered by governments and a whole lot of people who just want a ride to the bar and to avoid going out in the rain for a burrito. Who will win this fight? I don't care to speculate, but here are a few related thoughts. First, don't forget about the government agencies who set labor policy. Even if Assembly Bill 5 and the PRO Act go away, employee status is governed by many statutes subject to agency oversight, including the National Labor Relations Board, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, the Department of Labor, the Internal Revenue Service, and others. Now, the NLRB has been very active in this area, and also we've seen over the past several years a lot of legislation by executive order, and that may continue as well. Some of you may recall that the Trump administration issued a rule making it easier to classify workers as independent contractors, but it was blocked by the Biden administration. Recently, a federal judge reinstated the Trump rule, but I would expect the DOL to respond to that before long. The NLRB has also indicated its intent to weigh in on this issue and will likely do so at some point in the near future. Another issue to consider is local regulation. By way of example, Seattle and New York City have both passed ordinances for rideshare drivers. In Seattle, the ordinance allows drivers to organize and become union members, and a minimum wage ordinance has also been passed. In New York City, rideshare drivers have been brought within existing laws governing limo and taxi drivers. Depending on how the PRO Act plays out, we may see more of this going forward. So what should employers do now? First, take stock of where you are with independent contractors. Are you using them or do you plan to use them? If so, you will want to do an analysis under all applicable laws to determine your risks. If you are currently using independent contractors, consider a contingency plan in case the PRO Act passes or other regulation makes it necessary to change your approach. One option to consider is using staffing agencies. This can alleviate some, but not all, of the issues with independent contractors. If you are not currently using independent contractors, ask yourself if you want to start given all of the uncertainty. I know business startups with gig workers have a lot of appeal, but the regulatory environment is hostile, so consider your approach with care. Finally, another thing to consider is looking for ways to be flexible with your workforce. 
One of the things that makes the gig economy so attractive to so many people is the flexibility. With all of the difficulty employers are currently experiencing with staffing, it's worth considering whether you might be able to bring some of the flexibility of the gig economy into your conventional workplace. This has been the Practical Employment Law Podcast. Thanks for listening. Please watch for future episodes wherever you get podcasts. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review. If you would like to contact me about any aspect of the podcast, my email address is mchumley at kmklaw.com, and my full contact information is in the show notes. This podcast was created for general informational purposes only and does not constitute legal advice or a solicitation to provide legal services. Although we attempt to ensure that the podcast is complete, accurate, and up-to-date, we assume no responsibility for its completeness, accuracy, or timeliness. The information in this podcast is not intended to create, and listening to it does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. Listeners should not act upon this information without seeking professional legal counsel.